I want to read you a story this morning that um, sets the platform for where I want to go for today and next Sunday, and I'm absolutely thrilled. I never, I never get, um, I was going to say never get tired, but maybe that's not the right phrase. I'm constantly surprised, although I shouldn't be, that in the, and during the worship, the Holy Spirit just sets the platform for the Word. You know, we just heard about, about trusting the Lord this morning, um, and that's kind of where we're going, trusting and, and, and just staying with Him. So let me read this story to you. A university professor challenged his class. Did God create everything? A student replied, yes. The professor continued, if God created everything, then he created evil too. And since our works define who we are, then God is evil. The class became silent. Suddenly, another student raised his hand and he asked, Professor, does darkness exist? The professor responded, yes. To which the student replied, no, sir. Darkness does not exist. Darkness is just the absence of light. Light, we can study, but not darkness. In fact, we can use Newton's prism to break the white light into many colors, and we can literally study the wavelengths of the various colors, each and every color. But we cannot measure darkness. A simple ray of light can break into a world of darkness and illuminate it. How can you know how dark a certain space is? Well, you measure the amount of light that is present. Darkness is a term used by man to describe what happens when there is no light present. The young man then asked his professor, Sir, does evil exist? Now, the professor was a little bit uncertain by this stage, but he was the professor. So he said, of course it does. The student then replied, no, sir, evil does not exist. Or at least it does not exist unto itself. It is simply the absence of God. It is just like darkness, a word that man has created to describe the absence of light God did not create evil. It is the result of what happens when man does not have God's love present in his heart. Evil is like the cold that comes when there is no heat or when the darkness that comes when there is no light. The professor sat down and he asked the young man what his name was. And his name was Albert Einstein. That account of Albert Einstein's challenge of his professor is also one of, the, one of the great explanations of a battle that has raged down throughout the eons. This battle has many names. Good versus evil, faith versus fear, dark versus light, submission versus individualism. And I just, I listened to Ian's message from last Sunday. Where are, Ian, are you in the house this morning? God bless you, mate. That was a cracker message. His message was about truth. And one of the key things that Ian spoke straight out of the scriptures and continued to implore those of you who are here and those who watched online was this, to continue in the word. And this message series, um, 
that I, uh, I, I started writing earlier in the week and I sat down last night to finish it off um, and I got so absorbed in what I was writing, I just kept writing and I'm not going to give you the whole message this morning because we'll be here until Wednesday, um, but I'm breaking it into two parts. <laughs> so, so you will get home for lunch, okay? Those of you who've got this classic Sunday roast on. But this message series that I want to take you through over these next two Sundays is literally a thread that God has created and laced through my daily quiet times where each morning I get up and I, I start my day with the Word of God and a good strong black coffee. And the Holy Spirit showed me some things and I was like, oh my goodness. And so I, I, um, on my iPad, I, I have two windows open. I have my Bible app and my Evernote app. And I'm forever cutting, pasting, and going, oh my goodness, right, right, right. Oh my goodness, right, right, right. And that's what I've been doing for the last few weeks. And this is what this message has come out of. It literally created a thread of hope right through me that so deeply encouraged me. And I want to pass that encouragement on to you this morning. So if we take Albert Einstein's uh, dissertation or his correction of his professor, we know that darkness exists because of the lack of light. And so I want to lead you into an understanding about how we can live with the life, hope, and purpose of Jesus alive, 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 alive in each of us. And by doing so, I want to lead you through three insights that the Holy Spirit, that God gave me through his word over in recent weeks as I have continued in his word. This message is called Stay Close Until... And the three dots are quite intentional because it's not up to me to tell you how long your until is. Before we go to Russ, can we pray? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your Bible is a living document. It's a living, breathing document. I love how it says in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And then it said, and the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Lord, you are our living word. You lived and breathed and you walked on the earth. You live and breathe now, but you, the Bible says you're seated at the right hand of our God in heaven and have sent the Holy Spirit. Your Bible says, Holy Spirit, that your role will re is to remind us of everything that Jesus has said. No wonder Jesus encouraged us to continue in the word. So Lord, as we continue in the word this morning, Come and sow some revelation in our heart. Explode within our being your life, your hope, and your purpose. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm chapter 34, verse 4. The first insight, and we're only going to look at insight number one this week. Um, and the first insight that God gave me, I want to title Faith versus Fear. Psalm 34, verse 4 says this I pray to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. They've been saying for the last three years that the pandemic across the world, across the world is COVID. No, I would just say that COVID was just the catalyst of a greater pandemic, and that pandemic was fear. Fear has imprisoned, it has suffocated, it has stolen, it has robbed, it has beaten, and it has abused people for the last three years across the face of the earth. And this verse out of Psalm 34 
is just electric in its truth. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. And if the devil has a primary tool or a primary weapon that he uses, it is fear. And it, the Bible says that he is the father of lies and he sows fear through lives in our lives. Right down from as, 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 as smaller, a smaller lie as to you're not going to find what you're looking for when you go to the store to right up to the, actually your, your life has no point. Why do you live at all? John chapter 10, verse 10, the first half of John 10, 10, it says that he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He literally wants to take you out, not just take you out of the knees. He wants to destroy your entire life. But when we look at this battle, faith versus fear, it's real. We don't want to, look, I don't, I don't want to stand up here and, and be ridiculous and say fear doesn't exist because fear does. Fear exists because there is a lack of hope. Fear exists because there's a lack of faith. See, faith is the backbone of belief. And faith is the standpoint we use in the face of fear. You may have heard this description. Courage is not the lack of fear. Courage is feeling the fear and stepping out anyway. Faith is what keeps us going. Faith is what kept, has kept me going through numerous trials. I want to consider this morning, I want to consider four very, very famous people. Well, they're famous because we know what they faced. Those four people are Noah, Moses, David, and Paul. Let's start with Noah. He's minding his own business, out doing whatever Noah does in the middle of the day. God speaks to him, and he asks him to build an ark. Now, Back in those days, an ark was probably a box about this big. Think of the Ark of the Covenant, which not had, had not yet been made. And that comes later on with Moses. But then God gives him these dimensions. And he basically says to Noah, I want you to build me a really, really big boat. Did you know that shipping designs today are still based on the dimensions and the proportions and the percentages that the ark was built on? Because it's a perfect floating object. I'll just give you that one for free. But here's the thing. God, God didn't just say, build me a boat. He said, I'm going to cause it to rain, and I'm going to flood the earth, and I'm going to destroy everything on it. Now, if you've read the Bible closely, there is some theological debate around this. But in the earlier parts of the Bible, it talks about the fact that it didn't rain. It talks about the fact that at the end of each day, in the evening and during the night, a thick fog would rise from the ground and it would water all the plants. Now, that's much earlier in the book of Genesis. Noah's a little bit further on. And so it's very easy for us to consider. So right up until the day of Noah, there had been no rain. Now, we don't know that for certain. But we can, we can surmise that chances are Noah really didn't know what rain was. So not only did he not know what a boat was, he had no idea what rain was. And then God said, I'm going to cause a flood, I'm going to kill it. Basically what God said was going to happen had never ever been experienced by mankind ever in their lives before. And God's telling Noah, this is what he's going to do. I think there might be just a little bit of fear involved in that. 
going to kill everybody and everything on the face of the earth. Oh no, you'll be fine. Build a boat. What's a boat? <laughs> but you know what? God loved Noah and Noah loved God. And in all of this, because actually, again, if you dig deep into the Bible, it took him years to build the ark. And right throughout that time, could you imagine it? I mean, anybody seen Bruce Almighty? The movie Bruce Almighty? <laughs> or what about, um, now Bruce Almighty is about, uh, where he, he has gives, given the choice of God. What's the other one that has Noah in it? Even Almighty. Yeah, that's got the ark in it. Can you imagine it? Out here on the playing field. I mean, the kids would love it. But basically, we build a super tanker out on the playing field. And the closest body of water is the Taylor River, which is only there for, what, 30% of the year? Imagine the ridicule. Look, we make headlines. If you want to make headlines, that's a good way. Can you imagine the ridicule? Imagine the front pages of the magazines and the newspapers. Imagine John Campbell having fun with that one. Yet Noah stayed close to God and he stayed close to his voice to hear the instructions. And by staying close to God it, 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 in, the, in, the, in the face of rampant ridicule, he built the ark. And then it started to rain and he got his family up on the ark. And it literally says that God shut the door. That's a big door. But it said it didn't just rain, the ground itself literally tore itself apart and water just exploded epically from the ground. No living soul had ever experienced this sort of water before. Yet Noah and his family were saved. Faith over fear. What about Moses? Let's think about Moses. Moses um, was asked by God, he was around 80 years old, he's minding his own business on the side of the mountain looking after his father-in-law's sheep and uh, suddenly a, a, a tree bursts into flame. Now, geologists and historians have said that that's not an unusual thing in the desert. You get a, you, you get a, a tinder dry tree with a drop of water on the leaf, it's like Anybody, little confession time, anybody use a magnifying glass to set leaves on fire or to kill bugs or to burn your brother? Oh, um, um, <laughs> so the fact that no, uh, sorry, Moses saw a tree burst in flame, apparently, according to geologists and geography people and historians, was actually not that new to Moses. But there was something about this tree. In actual fact, if you read the scriptures, what Moses saw was a tree that was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. And he says, I haven't seen that before. So he turns aside and the voice of God comes out of the tree and God asks him to go back to Egypt because God has heard the cry of his people and he's sending Moses back as his representative to rescue the Hebrew people out of slavery. 400 years of slavery. Now, Pause there. Let's go back a little bit in Moses' timeline. The reason he was out in the desert looking after his father-in-law's sheep at 80 years old, because at 40, he had been living and he had been raised in royal privilege. 
He had been adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter who found him floating in a wicker basket in the Nile. She adopted him. He was raised in the palace. He knew privilege. He knew position. He knew no want. And one day he went to visit the Hebrew people and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave close to death. Something rose up in him and he killed the Egyptian. In actual fact, one translation of the Bible says, when he killed the Egyptian, he looked left and right to see if any was watching and then he buried him in the sand. But he got found out. And so he ran for his life. He was a wanted fugitive for killing an Egyptian. And God says, I want you to go back. <clears throat> Point of order, Mr. God. <laughs> I'm wanted. I'm a fugitive. But such was Moses' relationship to God. He, out of faith and obedience, he went back. And he stayed so close to God, he literally could hear his voice and receive instructions. And there's a whole lot in the story, but the end of that story is Moses leads the Hebrews out of Egypt. Faith over fear. How about David? Oh, David, that guy wasn't scared of anything. He was a punk looking after his dad's sheep. And as a young punk, killed a lion and a bear. He knew how to use a sling. Knew how to use a guitar. Well, a Hebrew guitar was probably about that big and it was probably about the shape. Knew how to write songs. The dude had it all going on. Apart from the fact that he was completely ignored by his own father and he was despised by his brothers. But that's just a side issue. His brothers are all off at war and his dad says, David, load up a donkey, take some provisions to your brothers at the battlefront. What little brother wouldn't want to go and see where the war is? So he's off, yoo-hoo, he's probably got his, got his guitar out and he's singing some songs and the donkey's and joining in with him on the way, having a great old time. He rocks up to the battlefront and he sees all the guys, all the bros, shiny armor, sword, shield, helmets. Oh my goodness, what little brother wouldn't want to wear that? And then, and then we find where the origin of smack talk comes from. He suddenly hears this guy bellowing out, just, just hideous, disgusting blasphemies. And then he sees the Israeli army, the greatest army on the face of the planet, frozen in fear. You know the story. The Israelites said, he's too big to kill. David goes, he's too big to miss. You know the last thing that went through Goliath's mind before he died? A rock. <laughs> and then David used Goliath's own sword, sword and chopped his head off. David saw this Philistine and he was huge. Yet his entire life, he had stayed close to God. And he knew his God. He knew, in actual fact, his famous words to King Saul was, my God has delivered me from the paw of the bear and the mouth of the lion, and he will deliver me from this Philistine. And because he stayed close to God, he went out and he defeated the giant. He defeated fear in front of the entire army. A punk kid. Let's jump into the New Testament. What about Paul? 
Paul, who used to be called Saul, Paul, Saul the persecutor, Saul the torturer of believers, Saul the one who legally started riots in every church he went to. He's on his way to Damascus and he gets completely knocked off his horse by God, by Jesus. Has this, if I could use the phrase, he had one significant come to Jesus moment. He gets led into Damascus blind because of the scales that were on his eyes when Jesus struck him off his horse. Jesus sends a guy by the name of Ananias to go and pray for him. Scales fall off his eyes. He then baptizes him. Saul becomes Paul. Now picture this. In this new moment of salvation, Paul knows he has to go to church. Could you imagine it? Paul walks in the door of the church. Could you imagine what's going on inside of him? I used to kill these people. I used to wrap them in chains, men, women, and children, and I used to drag them through the marketplace. I used to drag them along the road to Jerusalem. I used to throw them in prison. I killed these people. And now I believe what they do. That's what's going through his mind. He walks in the door and suddenly every eye turns. What does he see? What does he see in the face of the people that he sees? What does he see in their eyes? Probably a combination of utter terror and absolute hatred. What does he do at that moment? Fear or faith? What would I do? Um, I think I left the jug on. <laughs> I think I left the lights on in my car. <laughs> what would you do? And yet, Paul, who used to be Saul the torturer, Saul the persecutor, Saul the slayer, had had an encounter with Jesus that not only rocked his world and knocked his lights out, but he knew that 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 Jesus was real. And so he walks in brand new, freshly close to Jesus, and he begins to speak to the people and convince them that he is who he says he is and he believes what they believe. Imagine... The fear the people felt. Can any of us identify with that? Can any of you, can any of us identify with these? The fear of the unknown. What is rain? What's a boat? What are they going to think of me? How about the fear of failure? God, am I going to make this right? Is this thing going to float? What does floating look like? Can I kill this giant? He's pretty big. I'll take five stones instead of one. Actually, it's good to have five stone because I think he's got brothers. What if I fail? What about the fear of defeat? What if I can't kill, what if I can't kill this giant? What if, what if, what if, what about the fear of change? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? How many of us have held prisoner by those two words? What if? 
These stories in the Bible speak of people who knew fear and yet they stayed close to Jesus. And they grew in their faith. These people are now famous to us because their stories of how they stayed close to Jesus are written in the Bible and they stepped out in the life that Jesus gave them. They stepped out in the hope that Jesus gave them. They stepped out in the purpose that Jesus gave them. And they lived a life more fulfilled than most people ever live. Because they looked what if square in the face and they said, my God is bigger than you, dude. How often do we tell God how big our problems is, are instead of telling our problems how big our God is? You know what? You, like these famous characters, may have or may be being faced right now with a fear. And that fear is causing within you, I don't know if I'm ready, I don't know if I'm willing to move because of that fear. I don't know if I'm ready. Believer, those of you who call Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I long. I know enough. What if I get asked a question that I can't answer? I've been doing this job for 20 years. You know what? I face that every single day. Someone comes to me with a curly question about the Word of God. I, um, that's a really good question. Let me get back to you. <laughs> get on the phone, ring my theologian, mate. Help! <laughs> what if, 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 what if? But this is one of the things where faith overcomes fear, gets us close to Jesus, ready to step out in the life, hope, and purpose of Jesus, because this is the thing. See, God doesn't call you when you're ready to be called. He calls you when it's time. Sometimes life's tough. Sometimes we feel like Noah on day 20. Still raining. Water's still coming up. Still stormy. We're stuck in the middle of the biggest storm of our life. Something that we've never been through. Something that we've never witnessed before. It's day 20 out of 40. And we don't know what else to do. So what do we do? We try and steer ourselves through the storm. We try and steer. I heard this phrase once that said, if God is your co-pilot, switch seats. For those of you who are not aviation minded, in many, many aircraft, there are two seats. There's the pilot and the co-pilot. And you know what? I want Jesus as my pilot. I want Jesus as my pilot. When we place God outside of our circumstances, it's like one of, one of, the, one of the challenges that we were given at our conference two weeks ago, uh, the, one of the lead speakers, key speakers, his name was Pastor Banning Liebscher from Jesus Culture Church in Sacramento. And he was telling us some of his story around, uh, any, anyone familiar with Jesus Culture, the, the worship team? Well, Banning was um, Kim Walker Smith's youth pastor. And uh, they, things just really took off in the youth group. The power of God started to move. Music started to come. And they were doing big, big concerts and big rallies, youth rallies. And one day he basically said, you know what? We should record this. And the rest, they say, they say is history. But, you know, they're, they're hiring stadiums and they're traveling and all this sort of stuff. And they know that they're doing what God wants them to do. 
And yet there's this, this fear that it's not going to work. There's this fear that people aren't going to come out to the concert. There's this fear that they're not going to be able to afford a venue. And God challenged him, got right up into his grill and picked the bugs out one day. And uh, he said, why do you keep behaving like I'm not with you? I looked at Sue, she looked at me, wrote it down. (laughs) When we place out God outside of our circumstances, when we go, God, help me, you know, what we're doing is we're, we're behaving as if God is not with us because the scriptures literally say he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. That means he's right here. God, God generally doesn't rescue us from a storm. He rescues us in the storm. So if you're trying to navigate your way out of a storm, stop and give Jesus the tiller and let him navigate you through the storm. You know, if you feel like you're walking through hell right now, keep walking. Just do a dory. All you animated movie fans, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Am I the only grown-up who likes animated movies? (laughs) I pray that I have a memory that lasts longer than hers. (laughs) Where was I? When we place God outside of our circumstances and we focus on the thing that's immediately in front of us, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. That's when we go, (gasps) and we focus on the fear. When I was, uh, as many of you know, uh, before I was pastoring, I served in the military. And on our recruit course, we went to this amazing confidence course up at dip flat and one of my favorite things it was called the cargo net and we had to climb up a big tree mark i can see you smiling you know what i'm talking about we had to climb up this big tree and there was a rope it was it was a rope swing whoa you know go the tarzan thing and 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 but the thing is the rope would you know it would only go so far and then there was this massive cargo net laced between two trees you know what I'm talking about, Donna Marie. You've been there and you've swung on it. The thing was that at the end of the swing, we had to let go of the rope and dive into the cargo net. I can tell you many, many times it was like, nah. <laughs> nah. Nah. But I tell you what, that thrill, that thrill when you're like, yeah! And you just let it go and you think oh no into the net oh man that was a buzz we had one guy that he he, he was really funny he was i shouldn't laugh but it was really funny he's like he's like Rah! down the net and he's like ready to let go of the rope and then he doesn't and then he does and then he doesn't what happens is he's going down the rope as, as it's going and then he finally lets go but the thing is went right underneath the cargo net <laughs> it really was funny god isn't god is in our circumstances with us and when things don't operate according to our desires and our will then guess what it means that our desires and our will could be wrong we need to let go and let God be our cargo net. When we stay close to Jesus until 
when we have faith over fear, then fear is no longer an issue. It doesn't mean fear doesn't exist, but it's no longer an issue. When, when does fear become an issue? I'll tell you when it becomes an issue. Fear becomes an issue when it changes from a feeling to a mindset. Fear itself is a feeling. Fearfulness is a mindset. This is such a powerful and freeing statement. Fear will develop into fearfulness if we allow it. Fear is a natural response to danger, and fear can be an incredible motivator. It is an initiator of action. However, when we have fearfulness, see, fear can motivate us to action. Fearfulness does the opposite. It freezes us into immobility. It locks our mind, and because it locks our mind, it locks our ability to move. So if you are facing some fear, don't think, I've got it all wrong. No, you haven't got it wrong. It's what you do with that fear that matters. If you let that fear motivate you, inspire you, and spur you to action, and you know what? Maybe the first thing it needs to spur you to do is pray. The first thing it needs you to, it, fear needs to do, it needs you to spur you to get close to Jesus. It needs to spur you to what Ian taught us last week, continue in the word. Let it provoke you to pray. Let it provoke you to worship God. Let it provoke you to lift your eyes to the one who holds the seasons in his hands. To lift your eyes. You know, you may not know what the future holds, but I'll tell you what, when you know Jesus, you know who holds the future. So I'm going to bring this to a close now. Worship team, would you come, please? I'm going to give you three scriptures to just encourage you to stay close to Jesus. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, very famous one when it comes to fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline, or power, love, and a sound mind. See, if you let fear become fearfulness, you lose the soundness of your mind. Romans 8, 38, 39 says this, but I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, you know what? I just want to encourage you. Take that home and feed off those two verses. Chew on them and let the truth of that begin to stir your soul to love and good works. And then the last scripture, John 14, 27. I am leaving you with a gift. This is Jesus. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Faith versus fear. What are you going to choose? Because guess what? The choice is yours. The choice is yours. This is not in my notes, but I shared it with the nine o'clock team this morning. The word decide is actually two words. It's de as in D-E, and then side. We, it's, it's in, the, in the grammatical term, the entomology of this word, we see it in many other words. We see the, the side 
in the words like homicide, pesticide, genocide, all those horrible things. Because the word decide literally means to kill off. To kill off all other choices, to kill off. So today, you get to decide faith or fear. Because when you make a decision, what you do is you kill off the other options. Joshua stood before the people of Israel and he said, well, the, the scriptures say, he said, choose you today. I want to change that up and decide. Decide today who you're going to serve. If it's the God of the Amorites, then choose that one. If it's the God of this. But as for me and my house, I have decided that we will serve the Lord. I'm going to kill off every other option, every other God, every other faith, because there is only one and his name is Jesus Christ. You have the power of decision this morning. You get to decide faith over fear. You get to decide love over hate. You get to decide kindness over horridness. You get to decide gentleness over abuse. You get to decide. You get to decide your words over their words. You get to decide truth or lies. Decide today. Decide today, faith over fear. Would you stand this morning?